0: In the following live session recording, Chris Bryan, senior campus minister at Georgia Southern University of Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about connecting students with your church. College students can be a great source of energy for your church if you know how to effectively connect with them. The session will review lots of ways for the church to connect with students and give them significant opportunities to grow and to serve. Let's join Chris now.
1: Thank y'all for being here. Um, I uh, I like to uh, have fun with with these kind of things, and so I want to start off and just have a little fun. If that's okay with y'all, uh, but I need two volunteers. Is there anyone brave enough? I'm not going to embarrass you. You might embarrass yourself, Aww. but uh, can I get two volunteers? There's one and a two. Okay, you can stay there. Uh, stay seated. Uh, I need you to think of this is you may or may not have played this game before, but it's called two truths, two truths and a lie. Uh, so what I need you to do, I'm going to give mine first, and as I give mine, I need you to think of two truths about yourself and one lie about yourself in any order. You're going to tell those three things, and we have to guess which one's true and which one's the lie. You got it? Good. Okay, I'll go first. Okay, so as a kid, I had a five-foot python as a pet. (coughs) That's my first fact. I won all-state debate championship in high school, and I floss every day. (laughs) So which ones are true and which one's a lie? You don't know me. Well, okay, (laughs) we got a cheater in the back that knows me pretty well and then... Can you show your teeth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> show me your teeth. Show me your, your teeth. teeth <laughs> so I had a five foot python as a pet and when I was a kid I won the All-State Debate Championship in high school and I floss every day. Which one do you think is the lie? Python. I don't think you floss, floss. You don't think I floss? Python. 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 So I think that was true. The All-State Debate. The All-State Debate? Python. Python. Yeah. Okay. So I did have a five-foot python as a pet, um, and I actually uh, do floss every day. Uh-huh. Um, believe it or not, uh, I know that's weird, but I do. Um, <laughs> i glad I, 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 I was never, I was never on a debate team, and I didn't win all state. So, <laughs> um, so do we have? Who wants to go first? Out of you two? Okay, good.
2: I'm you. I was listening
1: to
2: you. I wasn't the thing. <laughs> okay, um Okay. I am
3: German. I used to play in a soccer team, and I own two horses.
0: Two horses.
1: She may be Austrian. What do y'all think? German. Used to play soccer, and own two horses. I just want you to keep talking. <laughs> if I had to guess, I think soccer's there to throw us off because we—you would maybe think what we, that we think you played soccer. That's my guess.
3: You said own, so you were
1: pretty specific. So you definitely have two horses. or had two horses. <laughs> so which one is it? What's the lie?
3: I don't own horses. Oh. Don't own horses. Okay. I didn't okay. Threw us off the trail there. Oh, Threw us off. Oh,
1: Do we have our, our next volunteer? Uh, yes, one minute. Okay. Okay. Well,
2: I can think of... Okay, hold on. Uh, okay. I have a um, bachelor's degree in early childhood education. I have three children at home. And I met my husband in um, BSU, which is now
3: BCM. It's the same thing.
2: Okay.
1: (laughs) What do y'all think? I think they're they're all true. (laughs) I'm going
0: to
1: say three children. Okay. You really have 10 children, and that's the real answer. I'm going to a chance. <laughs> 4.30? 4.30. <laughs> Four she wouldn't be able to have the country. I
2: don't
1: know. So what is it?
2: What it? Um, I do
1: not have a college degree in <laughs> early childhood
2: education. Oh, saying, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I should have, but I'm a stay at home mom. So okay. I just okay. educate, well, I don't educate them. Our school system does, because it would be all snows days
1: at home. Okay. Well, thank you all for playing along. I appreciate your uh, participation today. What's the point What's the point of this? I, I love. I love to play games and I love to find out more about people. But uh, what I really wanted to play that is uh, the reason why is because I like to, sometimes you have to find the truth in between what seems like truth. Sometimes some things seem like truth, but they're not true. You have to decipher between the truth and a lie every day of your life, in, every, in everything you work in, in your businesses, in your homes, with your kids, um, all of those kind of things. And so there's actually a lot of things that are not so true things, floating around out there about college students these days. Um, I've been doing a lot of research uh, recently in the last uh, especially in the last three to four months uh, on the generation that we're on which is uh, which is generation Z and uh, does anyone know what generation Z is? Anyone have a clue? Has anyone has is that term new to anybody in here? Have you heard Generation Z before? Yeah. Yes. What is What is that? Does anyone know? I like participation, by the way. He's born after
2: 2000, right?
1: Uh, you're, you're pretty close. Pretty close. It's the
2: generation after the millennials, right?
1: Yeah. That Correct. Right it? oh, okay. Correct. It's right after the millennials. Um, they are, uh, Gen Z is, depending on what researcher you're looking at, sometimes it's 2000, sometimes it's as far back as 95, so we'll split the, di- split the difference and say, from about 1997 to anyone says anywhere from 2010 to 2015. So we'll just go all the way, 97 to 2015. Um, so anywhere kind of in there is where we would put Generation Z. Generation Z, and this is, I know that uh, what I'm looking at right now is not a carbon copy of your fill in the blanks. So if you are filling in the blanks and I miss something, just say, I gotta have that blank, it's okay. You can talk, You can talk to me. <laughs> Um, and if you're not filling out the blanks you're not offending me that's just if if you need it sometimes people will love to (laughs) um it was floating around here i had yeah okay yeah so if you if you want one of those feel free to take notes feel free to to do it however you like but that's just the way that if you need to keep your hand busy and write and, and doodle and stuff like me i like to to draw things as i write in the in the blanks too um but feel free to do that. So the uh, the Generation Z, they make up about 26% of the population in the USA, which is more than Gen X, more than Millennials, uh, more than the Boomers, more than any other generation right now. 26% is this that we're focusing on right now, Generation Z. There's been a lot of talk of Millennials in the last few years. Uh, I, I remember, I've I personally am a what's called an old millennial Um, and so you know I always take it very personally when people start blaming Millennials for everything not really I don't but uh, but there's been a lot of talk in the last five years or so especially just about you know all those Millennials they're just messing up everything and they're lazy and they're they're not doing anything and what are they doing with their lives and they're you know they're out there uh, popping Tide pods and stuff like that. I don't know if y'all heard any of that. That wasn't that was Generation Z, by the way. Uh, but there's there's all these things out there. I think that are misconceptions of even what Generation Z is. Um, and so we have a lot of a lot of talk of all these things. But millennials um, millennials have all moved on, and they have uh, they have they've gotten jobs. They've gotten married. They have kids. Uh, I'm I'm a millennial and I've been married for 14 years. I have a little 4-year-old girl. I have a steady job, you know, all of that good stuff. And a lot of times we think of that term millennial and we're no longer cool anymore, okay? I'll just say it like it is. We're just not. I'm not that good. I'm not that great anymore. It's all about generation Z now. And so generation Z, I don't know if anybody in here is if they're if they love those generation markers or if you get annoyed by those markers whatever category you fit into, they are what they are. And there are stereotypes in everything. And there of course are people that are that break those stereotypes, they break those generalizations. I don't consider myself a lazy person even though I'm a millennial. Sure, I fit into some of those categories of, of the things that get we get put into, but at the same time, there's plenty of people that break out of these, just like there's plenty of people that don't fit into every part of Generation Z and the statistics there are. But it is what it is, and so as I said, 97 to 2015, let's just call it that, um, depending on what research you're looking at. Um, that's that's who that is, that's the people we're talking about. And so, Gen Z college students today, let me tell you this, um, their one blank that's right there is, 9-11 is something in the history books. <laughs> oh, yeah. They didn't experience 9-11. And if they did experience, they were way too young to remember anything about it. Sure. Um, for me, that was when people talked about the Challenger explosion. That was something that was talked about. I couldn't tell you much about it. I know that it happened. I think I was maybe a year old or maybe not. I don't even know. I, that's what I'm saying. It's not something that, that I know about uh, other than the history books. And 9-11 has become that to this new generation. So when you start saying things like, you know, well, you remember how 9-11 changed everything? They don't. They have no idea what that means. They just know that, yeah, I remember my mom and dad telling me about that. I remember hearing about it on the news. I remember, you know, every September 11th, if you turn on the TV, there's some, you know, thing about remembering, remembering the fallen. You know, there's things like that, because everything that they know is post that point. So you got to think about things like that, because what does that change? It changes how they see things. They didn't see the they didn't see the change in going through airport security. They just know. This is what it is. This is what you do. So when they see an old movie where you know a family goes right up to the gate telling goodbye to their families, they might think, "Well, that's kind of weird. That's not realistic. That's not how the world is. You can't you can't do that." Um, but uh, let me see what I put on your blank right there. If I skip something, please let me know. But I put uh, they are digital natives. Uh, what I mean by that is that. They don't know a world without connectivity. They don't know a world without constantly being connected to the internet, constantly being connected. And so, they are—they have always lived in a world of high-security airports. They've always lived in a world of people on high alert with terror. They've always lived in a world of an unstable financial world. You know, you have the the crashes and the and the financial. Uh, bad times of the early, of early 2000 and 2007 and things like that. Those are just their life. That's not a, that's not a downturn economy. That's just the world they grew up, grew up in. And so because of that, it changes your outlook on things. Instead of saying, oh, bad things can happen, Oh, we, you know, but but every, it's okay because it all gets better. Instead of saying that, they just view it as life is hard and life is tough, and so I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be prepared. It's kind of an interesting way to, to look at life when you think about it. Um, but I grew up, um, my, my life personally, I was born in the, in the early 80s, but the 90s were the time where I really came up in my life. And things were relatively peaceful, relatively stable. I know there was like the Iraq War and things like that, but it was you know, it was over there. It didn't really, didn't really bother me. I knew about it. I heard about it. But we, you know, we we Americans, we, we won, right? You know, or something like that. That's a, that's how, it, as, a, as a kid, I, I viewed things. And so everything was fine, you know. Uh, regardless of if, if you liked the uh, the presidents of the 90s or not, relatively financial, financially stable. Whereas in the 2000s, it's been kind of a mix of, of all these things. And you've had, you've had presidents that people have been adamantly opposed to, uh, whether they be Democrat or Republican and all of these things. There's just been kind of the... a a little bit more of a turmoil uh, than there was even 20, 30 years ago. And so that's kind of the world that they have grown up in, Generation Z. I'm saying all this, this is not a Generation Z study, but I think you have to know who you're dealing with and how to deal with them and the why you deal with them first. And so this is just kind of the who and who you're dealing with. Because of this, all of this, this that they have gone through, and this is one of your blanks, they crave stability stability is something that they crave in every aspect of their life me as a as a campus minister i've noticed this a lot um i've noticed that they they need uh they need to be to have a place they need to feel like they belong uh they they want to be heard but also they just they want something safe i know we've you know Millennials and older, we've joked about these, about these people that are coming up that need their safe spaces and things like that. Uh, you, you hear about that, but that's a, that's a real term that's used. It got used this week with me. Uh, I had a, a, a young female student come into my office and said, I just feel like this BCM building needs to be a safe space. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I, I wanted to smirk, but I didn't, because I, that, that word, it makes me think of like, that's, that's so silly, like why does everything have to be so safe for you? but it's because they they just need stability. They've had so much of this lack of stability, whether it be at home, whether it be in their world that they live in, they crave that stability. They crave having a place. They're more careful uh, than the previous generations in some of their decision-making, not all, not everything. Um, But I I put on there, I put that they are less likely to have teen pregnancy. That might might be a shock to some people, saying, well, you know, I heard on the news that everything's just going bad. But in all reality, a lot of times these people are, they, they think about it, These even when they're you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, they're thinking about what they're doing, whether they make good decisions or not. But they are less likely to drink alcohol underage than the previous generation. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to see on the campus that I work on just because it is what it is. And you see, if you go out on a Friday night, and I'm like, I don't see the less likely part in this, but <laughs> it's true, overall statistically speaking, in, in the US, in the United States, there's a lot less likelihood of underage drinking, there's a lot less likelihood of teen pregnancies, but they have more anxiety and depression than ever seen before. Um, Joe Graham's gonna be leading uh, one of those sessions later on, specifically on depression and anxiety. And that is a big topic of, of this this generation. There's so much anxiety, there's so much depression, um, there's so much even medication. Um, and it's not it's not something that, uh, that they are not willing to talk about, they're actually very willing to talk about it. And they're very willing to, to put that out there of saying, well, I am dealing with this anxiety and this depression, and I'm on this medication, not because they want attention, just because it's become so normalized for them. Um, and that's an incredible thing of a generational shift of where that, is, where that has come to. And so that's something that's big, and I, I, I would uh, suggest that follow up on that and go to Joe Graham's uh, conference breakout later on, because he's going to be talking a little bit more in detail about that. Yeah, I won't be able
0: to go to that, but I would like to ask,
1: why is that? What's causing the
0: influx of anxiety and depression? The, you you can't point to any one thing. It's, it's a combination of cultural phenomena.
3: It's cultural, family, and parenting. I think the church has been a part of it. Too. Mm. I think. Uh, I, I think. We're all products of our culture, of our day. We're all products of the parent generation that raised us. Right. We're all products of, of a variety of things, and that's still the case. And so uh, it, it's hard to it's say point, point. this, this, this. But there are a number of things we'll talk about tonight, and
1: I'll be glad to. Matter of fact, I'll hand you what I'm going to hand out. <laughs> yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of factors to it. But um, and feel free, just as Stuart did. Feel free to interrupt me anytime if, if you have questions or just or just a thought. I want this to be a, a free a kind of a free a free speech stone here uh, in a way. But um, but I think that uh, that's that's a crazy thing to think about. Of it's something that whether or not you personally have ever dealt with with anxiety and depression, uh, it is something this generation is dealing with more than ever before. Uh, and so it's something that. You know, like Joe said, it, it comes from so many different factors, but it's there, whether whether you want it to be or not. Um, and because of that, uh, the next blank is uh, there's a lot more likelihood that they commit suicide. There's a lot more uh, there's a lot more suicide than ever before. And mm-hmm. so, while there's less underage drinking, there's less uh, promiscuousness in uh, in teen pregnancies and, and things like that. There's more likelihood of suicide,
2: which is what our generation was trying to fix. Well, if we fix the teen pregnancy, and if we fix the uh, underage, then they won't be, people won't be anxious, and people won't be depressed, and, and people will be happier, I remember, in my opinion, and probably most of y'all, the missing is gone. Yeah. That's uh, what the missing.
0: For sure. Well, and you know, I think about the anxiety and the depression, I wonder if the, the lack of stability feeds into that, and because they don't feel that sense of stability, Yeah in their world. Absolutely. That's that's one of the big things. They're, they're anxious things. and they're depressed. Yeah. I uh, want to get too correct. far into
3: it, but tonight we'll talk about this generation has a hard time thinking critically mm. and they have a very hard time problem solving. <coughs> and when you mix those two things mm. together, along with some of the other stuff, you, you find yourself in the middle of what we're doing. Mm.
2: That's a, yeah. just a
3: brief shameless advertisement.
1: <laughs> there you, you go.
2: You slipped
1: this one. I understand. <laughs> that happens. Um, but while while there is that, what you're what you're saying, there's this also this idea that uh, they are very self aware, self reliant, and more assured of themselves than previous generations. Um, it's that been makes a does not make any sense. it, it really doesn't, <laughs> because it's been there is this where Joe just said this, there is this confusion, and sometimes they have this anxiety of making an de- actual decision. They will they will sit there and sit on a decision that can be so simple to a lot of people in this room, and they will know a lot of good answers. They will have it all inside of them, but they will say, "I won't. I don't want to pull that trigger and make that decision yet." Mm-hmm. What if I do it wrong? There's a lot of thought that goes into that. It's a, that's, well, that's and that's kind of where it comes my from. My brother-in-law who committed suicide to a tee. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and he gave you the impression that he had it all together, but he had all these answers built up in, I mean, inside of him. But he would right. not
1: make a decision. Right. So I had, um, I have students that I work with uh, all the time now. That uh, some of my, some of my biggest mm-hmm. and best leaders, uh, that that come in and they come in with this this attitude of like, they. They are very self-assured that they have the right answers, and very they come across as very confident to, to you and I, but at the same time, they're struggling with this with this moment of what do I do? Did I make the right decision? Am I going to make the right decision? When I text them and say, yeah, just a simple question, can you be here and can you do this, blank, 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 I will, I will not get a response, not for 24 hours. And when I say, why didn't you respond to that text? Because that's something I would say, you know, that doesn't really work in the real world. You have to communicate with people. Even if you say, I don't know the answer to that. They say, well, I, I just didn't want to say the wrong thing. So I just didn't respond. Um, and that's kind of a weird thing to, to me. But it's something that I'm going to try to teach a little bit of, of how to do that. And that it's OK to not know the answer. And it's OK to say, just sometimes, I don't know the answer. Um, but one, ne- one of the next things is that they are more racially diverse than any other generation, um, which leads to, one of, one of the factors, which leads to being accepting and very inclusive. They don't like being non-inclusive. There's a very much a, a, big, a big feeling of, if someone is not included, if someone is, is outcast from this group, or if someone is told they don't belong, then uh, you can't do that, you can't say that. And I'm not saying that that we do that or that we believe that. All I'm saying is they are very much going to be in that person's corner or in that group's corner if they feel like that group or that person is getting excluded or uh, or getting cast out, they will say, I will fight for this person even though I don't know them because they want to be very inclusive. They want to be very uh, understanding or at least come across as being very understanding. It um, comes across as that, that being more assured of themselves, too. And so, uh, they don't like being non-inclusive, but they're very accepting in every way. Um, even, uh, even with uh, things, and I think it's on there later, but just the idea of, of sexuality and uh, uh, sexual uh, labels that are put on people of whether it be homosexual or transgender and things like that, they're very much like that, those, those words you know, where some people kind of do this and they don't know, they kind of are taken back. That's just the normal, those are normal terms, normal words that they've dealt with all of their lives. These are these are not things that have shock value to them. But going back to kind of more of the, where we are as far as demographics and, and uh, even racially and things like that. Uh, Smith, uh, in about 10 years ago, I think 1998 was the date, Smith was the most common last name until recently. Anybody have a guess? What the most common last name is in America? Just anyone. Now. So now. letters well, to start with. R. Rodriguez. Boom. You yeah, got it. It's it's 27. 27. Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was that. yeah. And so it was. Rodriguez is is now the most common name in the United States. Uh-huh. A common last name in the United States. So it's showing you where a shift is. Uh, for someone for someone like me that doesn't. That doesn't have a, a shock value to it it just has a oh okay that's kind of cool but maybe for some of you that's a whoa I didn't I didn't know that I didn't, I didn't understand that was that that was possible that was true but it's just one of those things that I think we have to understand just the world is an ever-changing place and as as ministers and as volunteers and churches and things like that we just have to be at a place to say well that's great how do we how do we share Jesus with, with these people how do we understand them more. How do we do that? And so there has been a 400% increase in black-white multiracial marriages in the last 10 years. There's been a 1,000% increase in white-Asian multiracial marriages. And so obviously with that, I could go on with more statistics of things like that, but it just kind of keeps going like that because those are, those are the bigger ones, uh, but obviously that changes what our, uh, what our country even looks like. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, but at the same time, it's just something that we, we need to understand. This is just, it's going to make this world uh, look different in a way of that, but also these lines that we have of, of races are going to start getting blurred a lot more over the next 10, 20 years, where people who are now 19, 20 years old, that in 15 years will be heads of companies, will now see things in that way and lead in that way, be able to to see things from that viewpoint. And so the next year in 2020, the census that will come out, it's estimated that half of America's youth will be part of a minority group, half. So that's kind of what it changes as far as racially. This is a generation more accepting and open to anything when it comes to sexuality labels. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, They don't want people bashing others. Uh, They have more openness to any of those labels than any other uh, generation ever before. And so if there's, like I said before, if there's anyone that comes out as saying uh, a negative thing of, you know, if you're teaching Sunday school and you start talking about just bluntly to say you know well you know those transgenders they do they do this that you're gonna automatically have a response not because they are okay with it not because they have to agree with it but because they just have this openness you're gonna have a response that might be like well hold on let's not there's no need to say negative things there's no need to bash them You, you might get that response and know why no it's because they're more accepting because they they just have this openness they were they're kind of born into it and that's kind of where where they are now and so they've grown up uh, with this sense of freedom, but then also because of that, there's this sense of freedom that they've also grown up in, in this internet age where uh, they have more, uh, more sexuality that they've seen in front of them, more pornography that they've dealt with. Like there, there's no such thing as no access to them. Everything is about they have open access. Smartphones have been a part of their lives ever since they were children. Uh, I don't remember; I think it was two thousand and seven when Apple's iPhone came out. And so, when you think about that, in those terms, that, that the iPhone changed our, our world in a way that uh, that a lot of technology doesn't change that quick. But if you think about even just the smartphone mm-hmm. of how that's changed things, instant access is is always there. It just is, and so. They have, they have more access to these things and it changes everything about how they view things, how they view people, how they view religion, how they view marriage, how they view relationships. So they've grown up with this freedom and there's no boundaries. Um, even, in, uh, even in our, in our music, there is this idea of uh, there's not really boundaries in music. And there's these uh, songs and artists that are extremely popular that, are, that just have a lot of graphic sexuality in their songs um, and I've had conversations in the last uh, in the last few months with different students different students that uh, we would put in in leadership positions different students that I would trust to disciple others but yet when I talk about music with them it's like they, they don't even understand why I would question their choices in music and I say, I literally said to a, to a student can we pull up the lyrics to that song and look at them together? And then they said, well, sure. And then they we looked at them together and then they it, that was the first time it really clicked. Oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have been singing the song in front of my campus minister. It's like they, they didn't even, it never even it never even occurred to them that that could have been weird or awkward. They just said, this is a, this is a part of what we do. You know, there was a a time a few months ago where, uh, they started playing some music and somebody put on their Spotify or something and and played a song that I would just, I literally had to run and yell and say, stop, what are you doing? You can't play that in here. And I'm like, it's literally graphically, sexually explicit in the song. And they're like, what? (laughs) And, And they just don't, they don't understand because it's just always been there. And it's just always been available. And it's a crazy thing of... I think that's a a great discipleship moment that we have to just say, let's just take a moment and look at what we're looking at. Let's look at what you're you're reading, what you're listening to, and just see, does it line up with God's plan for your life? Does it line up with who God wants you to be?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because most of them haven't even... They haven't even thought about it. Um, 69% of Gen Z believes it's okay to be born one gender and feel like another. Did you hear that? Almost 70% believes, no big deal. Um, I feel like a girl today. No big deal. I was born a man, but I feel like this today. Therefore, I am. Uh, That's a statistic you need to understand, that it's not just... You, you will not win that argument when you start an argument and you say, you should not believe this, you should not feel this way. And they say, well, why would I not feel this way? They've always felt that way. And so when you start a conversation about that, know what you're dealing with. Um,
0: We're well, coming out with a new curriculum that's gonna be in our high schools next year, that's gonna talk about that very
2: topic.
0: And it's gonna to, to create an awareness um, at least in our public schools here in Statesboro. It didn't uh, make the printing before this school year, before next school year, they will be teaching it from the middle schools all that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, creating those discussions. And there's more and more people that are
1: raising their family neutral
2: mm-hmm.
1: and their children in neutral way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been celebrities that have come out and said, I'm raising my child to be gender neutral. That's right. I, I, it blows my mind, but but it is but it is something that's that that's there. Um, but I've said a lot of negative things about them. But the great thing about them is that it's not all bad. Okay, I promise <laughs> you. I know I'm, I'm giving you scare tactics here, but what else is different about them? They have a sense of wanting to belong. We talked about that a little bit. But on top of that, they will work hard to achieve that. They are hard workers. Mm. They really are. Um, they have a high drive for work. They have incredible entrepreneur spirit where they are not afraid to take on new tasks. Now they might have anxiety about that new task they're taking on, but they'll do it. Um, because, they, because there's also the self-assuredness that they have about them. That's very different from Millennials in a big way, uh, whereas Millennials would more, more or less sit back and wait and kind of scan the room a minute and say, I don't know if I'm going to figure out what I'm going to plug into, where they'll have that self-assured confidence and step into it and without even thinking about it. So what does this mean for you as church leaders? What does this mean for your church? It means that we have to adapt the way that we do ministry. We have to constantly adapt the way we do ministry. If you're doing ministry the same way you did it 20 years ago, you're not adapting. And so we have to look at them for who they really are. But who are they? They're God's children that, who need to be helped. Just like you did when you were age, when you were that age. Just like I did. We need help. We need guidance. We need love. All of that. But they want to belong. They want a place. And so that's where you come in. They want a place to belong. They really do. There was even a, a, um, a study that, uh, I forget the researcher, the, the lady that came from, I believe, New Orleans, that was talking about counseling Sandy Hill Sandy Hillland and she was talking about this idea of there's even a push in some organizations that uh, like BCM and and church ministries where they are uh, the students are asking how do I how do I join this ministry officially how do I join this so whereas a lot of churches might be stepping back from that idea of church membership you might be scared of that this generation is no longer afraid of that. They say, I wanna be a part of something. And so when they say they wanna belong, like they might actually want to make it official and sign something saying, how do I officially be a part of this? Uh, as a millennial, I, I just kind of said, I'd like to show up and you know just kind of feel it out and then see what happens. That's how I was. But this generation says, sign me up, literally. I will sign on the dotted line to be a part of this, this group here. And it's a very big change there. Uh, it, it, it's just a big change all over the place. But they want a place. But I think we have to think about the why. Let me ask you a question. Why do you want to connect with college students? You can, you can answer that. They're so cute. They're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else? <laughs> I could get in trouble if I said that. But <laughs> <laughs> They are the upcoming leaders and not even upcoming
2: life and in 10 years, upcoming Six months and a year and two years, um, discipling them into leadership. Mm. They have so much potential.
1: So much potential.
0: It's a part of my context. Mm. I mean, just with Georgia Southern right there, I mean, I think it's sinful for churches if we don't um, pursue some type of relationship um, with students. Yeah, Yeah. the church will die. There's
3: a lot of, there's a lot of. Paul's teaching out there, and just helping them to sift through. Like you were saying about the music, that's one aspect. Um, not, not being critical about what they're actually hearing, and to be able to help them make distinction of, is this true? Is this biblical what you hear, or what you're singing, or what you? An age group is such a huge drop-off <coughs> statistic. I mean,
0: the new statistics that have come out that I can't remember the percentage at the point, but when they leave high school, if they've grown up in church and they've been involved, a large percentage of them they just leave the church. Now, it's just it's something that it might come back later really on as, as they get older, but it's just a void there. And uh, the heart just breaks for them. We know they've been brought up to truth, and so I'm trying to keep them plugged in, use those skills where so they
1: can be leaders, even within the uh, student ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So why do you want college students at your church? What else? They bring energy. Their they life. Bring energy. energy. Yeah, that's great. They bring
2: energy. Cool. Ideas. Yeah. What was that? Ideas.
1: Ideas. <laughs> new ideas. Yeah. Hey, they think a lot different than they'll than we do. The there is no box. There is no box. The box is gone. You're right. I
2: said eventually babies, because they'll get married and they'll bring babies.
1: Maybe wait a maybe wait a couple years. Can we hear that? No. Oh I said eventually. Okay, okay. But I get in with a good nail and then they're like,
2: There's Miss Lisa, let me go take my baby to her that's right. Okay.
1: Okay. So are you ready for, for that?
2: Right.
1: Let me, let me ask you this question. What is your plan today if twenty five new college students show up to your church this Sunday? And
0: take, and take, take them
1: to them. <laughs> yeah, we're moving into a bigger high school. Class. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I I, I said the the number twenty five because it's it's like a oh like for, probably for most people are like well that's a that's a big number. Let me ask you this. Let me put it this way. What if one college student showed up this Sunday? Do you have a plan? Some some yes. Some I don't know, um, and that's okay. I think one of the biggest things is to have a plan. Uh, just having having that plan in place because you have to be ready for it. If you're not ready for that one college student, then you're definitely not ready for, that, for the 25 to 30 that show up. But it has to start somewhere, right? Um, I think that, uh, Petra, if you don't mind me using you for a second, I know that uh, they've had, uh, I think, one or two students that showed up last year and then uh, they've had a, just kind of a few more that have started to come in and they've started to... A class and, college and career class. a college and career class, and so they've they've made a plan because it, they had one or two students or maybe three students, and now they have more, ten, ten. and so it's got to start somewhere because that's what it looks like. And uh, you're at Friendship Baptist, right? Yes, and so that's that's what it looks like is just having having a plan in place for twenty or having a plan in place for one or two. You have to have it. And so this is where, on the on the next page, you'll see there. We're going to switch over to princi- some of the principles for reaching college students. Um, and some of these are uh, some of these are my ideas. Some of these are just taken from different leaders that uh, that I respect and that I've listened to. And some of it is just kind of a modified thing. So this is where we can talk a little bit more, but also just be able to. Look at what it really means to minister to college students. So the first one there is: don't be afraid to be bold with the truth. Don't be afraid to be bold with the truth. Don't water down the gospel. Don't change what we know is God's word. There's just no need for it. Uh, there's so much. There's so much out there that is a, that is a watered-down gospel, that is a, a feel-good kind of stuff that we change. We change not just the scenery, not just the, the effects, and not just the, uh, the worship styles, but people are changing the actual words and saying, well, you know, kind of backing down. There's just, there's just no need. Uh, and so we don't have to shy away from teaching the difficult things. Um, I've had so many conversations in this last year about sexuality, gender roles, roles of men in ministry, roles of women in ministry, God's love versus God's wrath, Calvinism versus Arminianism, all of those things, and you're saying, well, I don't know that I'm prepared to, to have those conversations. That's what I'm saying, be prepared. Because if, if you're not prepared to have those conversations, they'll be brought up to you, and you'll say, I uh, I don't, let's ask the pastor, see what he thinks.
3: Two, two days ago, without giving any, a student
1: came to you and said, about Jesus, to give like an example that yes. two days old. Two days ago, I had a, a student that that came to me and said, uh, "We have a problem in BCM, and we have a problem in these churches that I've been going to locally. We are making uh, we are making Jesus into an idol." And I gave a look of. Surely I heard that wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Was it like
1: this? <laughs> it's like you're making so, him a god. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so after after two hours of talking with him in my office and going through Scripture of John one, John ten, Hebrews one, Genesis one. I mean, we're going we're going to all, I'm going Old Testament, New Testament. I'm going everywhere, and I'm saying something's gone wrong here. Where is, this, where is your mind right now? I mean, this is all over the place, but you have to be prepared for those conversations. You have to be prepared when students come up to you and say, you know, me and my girlfriend, have been, we've been dating for this amount of time, and you know, we believe that, uh, that sex is this and not this, but we kind of disagree. What do you think? And you have to say, instead of saying, whoa, look at the time there? <laughs> uh, you have to be ready for that. I had a conversation, speaking of the last 48 hours, where they said, Hey, Chris, what do you think? I was a little scared about my What do you think about women pastors as a group of females and males are all mixed? And so I get asked these things. And you just That's when you're around college students that uh, sometimes it's because they lack filters and they don't care what they're going to ask and they, don't, uh, and they don't care what your answer is or what their answer is. They just want to know. Uh, they want to be able to talk about it. But you have to be able to be ready for that. Uh, just know that, think of the craziest thing in your mind and they'll probably ask that. Um, if you're around them enough and if they, if they start to trust you enough, that's what happens. Is they will, they will want to seek you out. And I want you to be ready for that. Um, and Another example. I had, a, in the last few years,
3: I've had a college student ask me, is oral sex the same thing as sex? Now I don't bring that up to shock you. I'll bring it up because a college student in to asked me that question. He's a kid from one of your churches, not your church. But this this is a kid who honestly is just struggling with. I people keep telling me this is not this, this is not this, this is okay. And for for a kid to walk up to the state collegiate director
1: and ask that question, yeah that specific conversation three times in the last six months specifically that so be ready for that conversation
2: i appreciate it
3: i appreciate oh, it. I, that I they trust there. you
2: enough to mm-hmm. come to you and and ask you that and oh, yeah. not just take what everyone tells them or although they are telling them different things so it doesn't get confusing yeah. yeah but just that there's a trust there and they trust you to be honest because they're asking you
3: right and as shocking as that, what I just said may have sounded to you, you you seem to be ready to be shocked. Because if right. that is too shocking for your ears, then college ministry may not be for you. <laughs> the 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 nursery would
0: be a really good product. Well, and that comes kind of that's, that's right. right, but that stems from the um, access that they've had, yeah. right? Oh, okay. Because they've seen all of
1: that, yeah. And it's blurred the the uh, right. lines for them. Right, you see, you start to see where this crosses over That's from right. that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I get when I have these conversations, whether it be about Calvinism versus Arminianism, whether it be about sexuality, whether it be about gender roles, or any of these things that can be kind of shocking, there's one there's one factor that I get back, um, and. When I ask them, you know, what made you, what made you ask about this today? What made you curious about this? There's, uh, there's one theme that I keep getting back, and this is where I want to speak to you. The theme that I keep getting back is, well, people in my church don't ever want to talk about it. Uh, my pastor won't talk about it. My, my Sunday school teacher, they didn't. I asked them, and they said they got, they got offended. I asked them. Um, and so I want you to, to be able to be strong enough to have those conversations I mean, it really goes back to what's your name again? Right here? Oh, Lisa. Lisa, it goes back to something you said about the, the idea of, you know, isn't that great that they, they trust you? And that goes back to my next point of love them no matter what. That's the number two there. Love them no matter what. Um, because if you love them no matter what, they will start, you will start to gain their trust. And I mean that in a genuine way. Not, not show them that you love them, actually love them. Yes. Because if you can do that, then they know it. Yeah, sure. They really do know it. They these are uh, there's a, a term I won't use, but they they are they are truth seekers, and they they have a radar for when things are not mm-hmm. true. Um, and they they have this radar that goes off when you're not being real with them. They'll know it right away. And so do that. Be real. Love them with everything that you have, even when you disagree with them. Show them love. Um, can somebody open up your, if you have a Bible with you, or if you have uh, your app with you or anything. I need I need somebody to, a volunteer to read John 13, 34 and 35. Who wants to do that for me? You got it? John 13, 34 through 35. 34 and 35.
3: hmm
0: A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one
1: another. It says, by this, people will know that you are one of my disciples. Is that when we genuinely love them? That was one of Jesus's commands to us: that we actually show people real love, that we really do that. We show them love. We show them patience. Show that with your actions. Um, Sharing your political beliefs with them is not showing them love. That's just sharing your opinion. Now you can talk about it, why you believe what you believe, but sometimes I feel like we're shouting at people with the things that we say instead of just loving them and listening to them. Sometimes they just need to be listened to. Number three there is look for ways to be inclusive of every generation. Um, what I mean by that is that I think at your church a lot of times what we do is sometimes we're uh, sometimes scared of of having college students mix with with other groups of ages uh, and sometimes it, it goes both ways. Maybe it's uh, the older generations are scared of them mixing, or maybe we think the college students are scared of the older generations mixing with them, but. I'm saying to you, as leaders, don't be afraid to mix the generations with what we do. It's actually really—it's yes. incredibly healthy when we do that. There's uh, there's there so many examples of being able to see multi-generational uh, groups come together and to not be afraid of that. Uh, it's it's a great thing to be able to see that. Uh, there's well, I, I'm going to steal my other points. I'll go much further into that, but um, don't isolate them always. Uh, it's okay to have, a, to have a college Bible study. I'm not saying you should have a, a Bible study that's, uh, you know, ages 18 through 75. I'm not saying you have to do that always. But it's okay to do that, but don't always isolate them. Let, them. let them have their own thing, sure, but let them encourage them to do things that are with the church. That's what one of the things Joe started off with was he works in the world of BCM. I work in the world of BCM. I tell people uh, constantly, we are not a church. Uh, we are we we come together. Sure, we, we have times of worship and Bible study, but we are not a church. Number one, because this is like five years of of people that are here in this room. Um, this is not what what church really looks like. Church looks like there's there's kids and there's babies over here, and there's there's older people, there's middle-aged people, there's teenagers, there's everything. There's that's what a, that's what church really looks like. that multi-generational look. So I don't want to steal my thunder on the next one. But give. Give cross-generational serving opportunities. Do that. Number four, do missions together and teach them to see people as Christ saw people. Uh, the way that Christ saw people, uh, we see throughout the Gospels, is that uh, it, he says that they are like a sheep without a shepherd. That's the way Jesus describes us. When he looked out into the masses and it said, and it looked like these were sheep without a shepherd. And that's how Christ sees people—that they need a shepherd, that they need a leader. We all, we ultimately need Christ as our shepherd, as our leader. But also, there's a bunch of shepherds I'm looking at right here, where you were you were granted with that task to be shepherds to them. And so, but I think we have to show them that we have to be able to say, "Here's what it looks like." And so that's why I said do missions together. Uh, I am I am personally just uh, this is kind of a more of a personal opinion, not—I this is not necessarily fact-based, but through my, through my years of working in college ministry and youth ministry, one of the biggest things that I've ever seen bring people together, whether that be college students working together or college students working with older generations, going back to my, my other point, is doing missions together is one of the best ways to do that. Because you're doing one thing, you're doing something for the same purpose, whether you're sharing Christ verbally or whether you're sharing Christ through your actions and helping put a roof on a person's house that was destroyed in a tornado you are you are serving and you are sharing God's love in a tangible way in a real way together and so i always say that give missions opportunities do that locally do that globally do it all go to go to jerusalem but also to the utter the uttermost parts of the earth do do all of that together. Working together on mission, I always found them to be the best way. I, I people have people bond on mission trips and through mission experiences like no other way. It really, it's it's almost just like this strange thing if you've ever been a part of different mission trips and being able to see. Uh, you know, I never thought these two people would be able to even be in the same room together. Much less now they're friends because they've been bonded over this experience of. Helping people or sharing Christ together with people, doing all of these things, and so we do that because we we want to show how how good God really is, and it's amazing. Number five, develop one-on-one discipleship. Whether that's through that's through an adopt-a-student program or something like that, um, or whether that's through uh, a mentorship that a thing that you have in your church or anything like that or maybe you're saying well we don't have anything like that in our church that's, that's okay you have to start somewhere maybe that's just you maybe it starts just with you or maybe it starts with you and, and three people that you trust in your church to have that but have them start a, and develop a one-on-one discipleship with students in your church maybe that starts with your youth or goes on through the college students that you have or the college students that you don't have but someone that you know you know, maybe it's uh, that, that person that said, well, you know, I know that student's coming down your way. Maybe give them a call. Reach out to them. Um, be intentional with this. Uh, sure, going out to going out to eat and calling up a, a student saying, you know, you want to go grab some coffee? Uh, you want to go grab lunch? Um, that's good. Serve them food. Have them in your in your house. Uh, there's, there's something... Uh, that's just, it's pretty amazing when you have someone, you host someone in your own home, what that actually can do, how it can, it can bond you in a way of where they start to trust you more. Not to trick them, we don't, we don't trick them, we go back to point number two is that you genuinely love them and that's why you do it. But it's also to share your life, to share who you really are. Many students don't realize that, uh, that you went through the exact same things that they're going through or something similar. Uh, they they sometimes realize, uh, they sometimes think of themselves as this new generation that is experiencing all new things, all new feelings, all new experiences. And how do I know that that's true? Because I thought the same thing. When I was 18, I knew a lot. I knew a whole lot. You
2: knew everything. I, I think
1: I knew everything. But when I turned about 23, 24, 25. I realized I didn't maybe know everything, and so that was part of that. And that idea is that they don't realize sometimes that you went through the same things. You've been you've been through breakups. You've been through depression. You've been through hard times with your families. You've been through things. You've you've experienced a uh, a, a crisis of faith. Maybe maybe you've you've also doubted. Your, uh, your faith in some way. You've doubted why your, your church does this and you've questioned these things. They don't know that, but you can tell them that and you can tell them it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have those moments, but they'll never know until you, until you actually put that effort into it. The last point, and I find this to be um, probably the most important on the list, um, be real, be real. I kind of started off with, with that a little bit today, but you can't be fake. Like I, like I said earlier, this, this generation, more than any other generation I think before, has a, has a radar and a, and a detector for things that are fake. They know it and can see it from a mile away. Don't be fake. Your, your pastor can't dye his hair. Your worship team can't just add electric guitars and smoke machines. Um, They they can see it. They know it. They said, that's fake. That's not who we are as a church. That's not who you are. That's not who you are as a person. Why are you dressing that way? Why are you trying to talk that way? Be yourself. It's okay to be yourself. I've realized that once I passed, uh, I don't even know what age it was, but maybe it was when I crossed over into my 30s or maybe it was somewhere in my late 20s, all of a sudden just became just another adult. I could, be, I could be 55, I could be 35, I could be 75, I'm just another adult.
3: <laughs>
1: and they don't see me as cool, no matter what I would do. I promise you, they just don't. They don't even care about that, because if you're real with them, and if you genuinely love them, that's what they really care about. You have to be who you are, but at the same time, this is also important, be willing to adapt to who you're ministering to. Be willing to adapt how you minister. Not necessarily who you are. You don't have to, don't change who you are. Be who you are, but be willing to change how you minister to them. You can't change who you are, but you can change the methods of your ministry. And so, those are just some things I wanted to, to challenge you with today. Uh, those are some things that are kind of on my heart with with all of that. And if you have any questions, I'm glad to talk with you. If you want to talk later, uh, would love to. Um, but uh, I'm I'm here in Statesboro and I'm working with BCM. I've just met uh, a couple parents of a new student that stepped onto our campus, and that's exciting. Uh, but I know all of you are working in different churches, and you care. That's the reason why you're here today, It's because you care. And if you can do that, if you can show care, and you can show genuine love and be real, that's the best step you could possibly take. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you.